This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Look what the wind blew in, literally. Everyone is back. I haven't been here in a very, very long time. I, I apologize. By the way, it just turned blue, so. Oh, yeah. Yep, see? Wow. See that? It's on. Anyway, thank you. Um, I just felt it's very important that I, I've been getting calls and a lot of emails and a lot of questions. Uh, what's your opinion about the hurricane? So tonight's subject matter is um, not really the hurricane, but I'll talk a little bit about it. And um, what I think, I'm, who am I to think anything, but um, what I think caused this, you know, Queens Baruch Hashem, it looks like from driving in here that uh, you guys didn't get hit so bad, but Farakaway and many other places got hit very, very bad. There's a lot of Jews this Shabbos that had no food, really, literally no food, and Jews brought in a lot of food to them, but no refrigeration, the far rockaway, any places that's surrounded by water, houses, just, they're gone. They're gone. They're in the, they're in the ocean. Um, we were going to make a Hanukkah, uh, Hanukkah Shabbaton, which we we're going to invite all of you to come to, but it's in a hotel out in Long, Be- in, uh, Long Branch. So, um, when we first booked the hotel, they had 20 oceanfront rooms. Now they have 200. It's <laughs> all out there. Um, so we don't know yet what the story is going to be with the, with, the, um, with the hotel. We'll see what happens. And maybe we'll turn it into a cruise. All right, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so the question is, what happened last week? Um, and the Jewish, usually we're protected from such situations, but really, this, uh, this storm, Muncie, Lakewood, um, a lot of Farakaway, Five Towns, a lot of very Jewish areas were hit worse than some non-Jewish areas. So everybody wants to know, what does Hashem want from us? So I think we're going to have a little insight into, uh, I'm going to say stuff tonight that's going to get me into a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. But, I don't care. Because I'm standing up for my God. For the one who created me. For the one that's our father. And our king. And it's about time that all the people in this room. And every Jew in the world. Finally is not scared. Of a lot of the people in the world. That are liberals. And say what they want, do what they want, point their finger to Shemayim and say there is no God. Who say that even though the Torah says that homosexuality and gay marriage is a te'evas Hashem, is an abomination, a disgusting thing for Hashem. All of us sit nice and quietly in Queens and in Lakewood and in Brooklyn and in Muncie. And none of us demonstrated when the vote was made in New York. And none of us demonstrated after the vote. Because we worked in places that if God forbid you would talk against gay marriage, you're scared that someone might not like you. Or somebody might fire you. And we are so, in this culture, in school, 
that we dare not open our mouth and defend our God. And they walk freely amongst us. And we're all a bunch of cowards, including me. No rabbis got up to say anything. No kahillas, congregations got up to say anything. Nobody demonstrated. I have gay friends. My boss is gay. <laughs> the professor in college is gay. God forbid if you get up and talk against gay marriage. You're a bigot. You're a racist. All the time, God is being insulted and disgraced. And the Jewish nation sits quietly I have a job, I have a car, my gas station has gas. God, you can pretty much go. I really don't care about you because I live in America and I live in Western civilization and it's accepted. And what can I do anyway? I'm going to get up and protest. It's not going to change the world. Well, God is fed up with his Jewish nation sitting by quietly and just accepting this Te'evas Hashem. So people ask me, but Rabbi Wallerstein, how can Hashem be angry at us? They voted in New York, in the New York State Senate Assembly. I live in Queens. My name's Sarah. I'm going to go out there, Times Square with my little sign, Sarah is against gay marriage. First of all, they're going to pelt me with rocks. New York Times is going to call me a racist. New York Times is going to call me a prehistoric rabbi. So, Rabbi Wallstein, how could you ask me to do anything? So I want to tell you a story. In the Medjish Rabbah, in the book of Shemais. There you go. They already heard about me. <laughs> the New York Times, is he really saying this? <laughs> so, the Medjur says the following. The Medjur says there were three advisors to Paro. Bilam, Yisro, and Eov. And Paro, the Pusik says, said, Hava Nishakmalo, let's get together. Let's get together and come up with an idea on how to wipe out the Jews. And Paro came up with a brilliant idea. We take all the boys that are born and we throw them into the Nile River. Then the boy that's going to overturn Mitzrayim will be killed. So guys, you're my three ministers. I'm a Democrat. We have to have democracy. So let's have a vote. A vote. We can throw Jewish kids in the river, in the Nile River. Bilam, I vote, throw them all in the river. How about you, Yisro? I don't know, throwing little kids into the river? I got to think about this till tomorrow. How about you, Eov? I don't know, that's pretty drastic. I got to think about this till tomorrow. Paul said, you guys are stalling. Tomorrow morning, I want you in here and I want your votes. We have two votes already that say, throw them in the river. Mine and Bilam. That night, 
says the Medrash, that night, Yisrael, who did not want to vote to throw little kids into the river, snuck out of Mitzrayim. He took with him the stick, the mata, which he stole from Paro's treasury, and he ran to Midian. He ran away. That's why he was very scared when his daughters came back and said, Ish Mitzri, there's a Mitzri who saved us. He panicked. He said, oh my gosh, if I'm going to let this Ish Mitzri who ran away from Mitzrayim stay by me, then Paro's going to come after me because I also ran away, stick him in a dungeon, and that was my Sherebeinu. Next morning, Eov shows up. There's no Yisrael. So Eov comes to the castle, and they sit in there. Bilam already voted to kill the Jews, and Paro voted to kill the Jews. And he's like, all right, Eov, what's your vote? Eov knew that his vote would be meaningless. Yisrael was gone. So now there are only three of them. Paro already voted to kill us. Bilam already voted to kill us. So what was Eov going to vote? No. If he voted no, he's still going to lose. So he abstained. He said, I'm not, there's no reason for me to vote, Paro. You won already. You, you're two against one. So I'm not voting at all. I'm abstaining. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. So Paro said, okay, two against none. We're going to take the Jewish kids and throw them in the Nile. At that point, God wrote a that Eov will suffer more than any human being that ever lived. And he lost all his daughters, he lost all his sons, he lost all his money, and it says there was no person who ever, who ever suffered or will suffer as much as Eov. So Eov came to God, and he said, I don't understand. Bilam voted to kill the Jews. Paro voted to kill the Jews. And I have to suffer because I didn't vote? That doesn't make any sense. So Hashem said something amazing. Hashem said, when a person is sick and he's in pain, what does he do? He yells. He screams. Does the scream and the pain help the sickness? No. You can break your arm, walk into the doctor's office and say, no, you don't have to help me. I'm going to scream my way into my bone getting fixed. No. you got to put your bone in a cast. So why do you scream? Doesn't help. Screaming in pain doesn't help. What's hurting you, you have a toothache and you're screaming in pain. The toothache doesn't go away. Why are you screaming? He said, Eo, why are you screaming when someone's in pain? And he said, what do you mean, why do you scream when someone's in pain? Hashem, it's simple, because it hurts. Hashem said, so even though you knew that you couldn't win, why weren't you screaming? Because it didn't hurt you that they were going to throw Jewish kids into the Nile. So now I'm going to give you every pain. You're going to lose all your children and all your money. And when you scream, you will understand that when you're in pain, even though it doesn't help to scream, it shows that it hurts. And it showed me that it didn't hurt you. So every single person in this room that doesn't scream, even though we can't overturn the vote, which they try to do exactly a week before the hurricane, 
And exactly a week before the hurricane of Irene, exactly a week, look it up, we tried to turn over the law in the New York State Assembly. And they voted not to turn it over. A week later, we had Irene. A week before this hurricane, they tried to turn it over, and they said no. And a week later, we had Sandy. You have to be stupid and brainless. Not the chap. Like all the dummies in the world. After the hurricane, so one of the channels asked, so why do you think we had a hurricane? 55% of the people answered, Mother Nature. Serious. 45% of the people answered, these were the Chachamim, smart people, change of season. Fall going into winter. 5% said, bad luck. Nobody said, God is trying to tell us something. Except a preacher who got more nasty blogs than anybody ever in the history of New York because he got up and said it's homosexuality and gay marriage a preacher so even though you can't do anything about it you got to sit in your room and say Hashem it hurts it hurts to see the country that I live in and the state that I live in stick it to you, God, and say that you don't exist and we're atheists and you have nothing to do with this world and we'll marry anything that we want to marry. You have to tell Hashem, my name is Leah, my name is Chaim, Hashem, I stand with you. And it hurts me. And I'm screaming because I'm in pain because it hurts me. Because if we don't start screaming, Hashem's going to give us a reason to scream. We better scream for His honor, not have to go through Shalom, what Eov went through, and another hurricane, or a tornado, or an earthquake. The world is in huge trouble. Montreal, two weeks ago, never had an earthquake before. Montreal had an earthquake. Montreal, Canada. You can't blame it on the fault in California. You can't blame it on the earth moving. You can't blame it on global warming. Montreal doesn't have earthquakes. New York doesn't have hurricanes. A hurricane, everybody, without rain. Hurricanes come with five inches of rain an hour. Our hurricane that just toppled New York, toppled a lot of the Jewish towns, had no rain, did not have, after the whole hurricane, five inches of rain. And everything's destroyed. No electricity, gas lines. You foolish human being. You silly worms. You think your phones, your technology, your plane, stop flying for two days. Your cars, you're waiting online like a bunch of cows waiting to get their feed. 
for two days. You have big cars. Your technology in Flatbush, the lights went out for four or five hours. Panic! My computer only has three hours of battery power. After three hours, we're done. Recharge it. No, I can't. There's no electricity. We were living on batteries from my days. <laughs> Pre-electricity. Flashlights, you little human beings walking around with candles and flashlights. And where's your cell phones and your iPhones? My Verizon phone was down for two days. A little wind? Human beings building the tower above El to reach Shemayim? Apple? A new world? A little wind? And there's no more apple? And there's no more water? Since when do we drink water? Vitamin water, at least. And everybody's going to Costco. Water! Like we're in the desert. They were hitting each other. That's my water. Could have used Rifki Imenu. She would have gotten some water from the well for us. And we don't hop and we don't get it. I gave you electronics. I gave you all this technology to get closer to me. And instead you're standing in shul. And that's what you're on. I'll take it away in a moment. In a sneeze. It was an impossible storm. The guy am I saying uh, was the perfect storm. Tell that to the people who have no electricity, no food. The perfect storm. The moon had to be at full moon. Had to be at high tide. The hurricane hit at high tide. If it would have hit now, today, we wouldn't have any problems. Kushbuch who made the wind come, the high tide, the exact right moment, the northeaster a storm coming up the coast the way it did. They're like, it never happened. When something happens and they say it never happened, that's God screaming at you, hello, no mother nature. It's me. It never happened. And we're all sitting there. Hashem, tomorrow we're going back to work. And God's like, what do I have to do to these people? Open up the earth and swallow them up? How do I wake them up? So, you think Rabbi Wallace is just ranting and raving. I want to read you a Medrash Rabbah in Pasha's Beratius. Because if you want to know what's going on, you open up the Torah and it tells you, listen carefully. So it's talking about the destruction of the world in Pasha's Beratius. And the men took for them wives from everything, not from everyone, from everything that they chose to get married to. Says the Medrash, what does that mean? It should say, they took from themselves wives from every woman that they chose, but that's not what it says. It says they took wives from everything that Sheb Says the Medrash, Zezachar Ubehema. They took men, took men to get married, and animals. Rabbi Huna b'shem Rabbi Oimer. Rabbi Huna, in the name of Rabbi Oimer, in, in the name of Rabbi, says, Dar Hamabel. 
the generation of the, the, that was destroyed in the Mabul, Laini Mochum and Olam, was not wiped out from the world out until Shekasvu, until they wrote Gamois Siyos until they wrote, seems to be some kind of something they wrote. Till they wrote this to men, wrote this to men and to animals. What does that mean? Unbelievable! Listen to this medrash. Says the medrash that Hashem did not destroy the world till they wrote Gemaisiyos. What are those? Shtare kisuba v'nisuin until men wrote to other men, kisuvas, marriage licenses, to men wrote to men and animals, marriage licenses. Men married men. It's not a new idea. It's a medjish rabbi and pashas Listen carefully. But that wasn't enough for Hashem to destroy the world. Listen to why he destroyed the world. They took them to be together in the biblical sense. It went so far. They did this thing so freely. That the judges of the generation, the judges in New York City and in New York State, the judges of that generation agreed. Sidre Chaikul Mishpat, and they made it a legal law with Toyevas to discuss. And they saw nothing wrong with men marrying men with a marriage license. They saw nothing wrong with it. And because the government and the courts agreed that this is okay. So the people saw no embarrassment. They felt no remorse. They did no tshuva. And when Hashem saw this, He judged the world for total decimation and destruction. And he goes on. Any place that you find immorality, disease comes to the world. This is cancer. The good and the bad die together. Rabbi Zari Huda Simon says, I'll call HaKadosh Baruch Hu Marich Apo. On any sin, any sin, God is slow to get anger. Except for immorality. And he talks about the week, the parsha, that we got hit by this hurricane which was this week's Pasha. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi b'shem Pidaya Oma. This past week's Pasha, when the hurricane showed up with Pasha's Vayera. In Pasha's Vayera, it says the following. Ko'o the whole night, that the Malachim, the angels, were by light. Ho'yoloit mevakesh rachamim ala sedaimim. Light begged that they should not destroy Sedom. Ho'yimekavlim miyado. And the angels agreed to Lot. You know what? You're doing tshuva for them. You're asking forgiveness for them. We're going to let them go. We're not going to destroy Saddam. Until the Saddam said, the, the people, in, the men of Saddam said, Give us those men 
and will have sexual relations with them. The Tashmish. Amr Aloy, the minute they said that, the angel said to Lot, Who do you have left here from family? It's over. If they're homosexuals, if that's what Sodom has in it, it's over. The Rachamim is over. There's no discussion. Give us the family now. We're out of here. Lulah made to tell us. There's no defense anymore. And they told Lot, stop learning defense on them. Discussion over. They killed people. They cut off limbs of people. They took a girl and soaked her in honey and watched her die because she helped people. And they still could ask Rachamim and the Malachim would have let them live. And Lot said to them, we'll give you, I'll give you my two daughters. Instead of taking these angels, these men, take my daughters! And the men of Sodom said, we're not interested in your daughters. We're gay. And at that moment, at that moment, Malachim said, Sodom is done. Now I'm not telling you that you should hate gay people and you should hurt gay people. Chas v'shalom. The Torah does not say that. The Torah does not say that you should hurt them. But the Torah says, gay marriage, marriage, the holiest thing that we have, harayat mikudeshes li, we say. We don't say, hey, what's up? Let's hang out together. Let's get married. Does death do us part in the whole thing that they say? We say, harayat mikudeshes li. You are holy to me. When that's over, when a man is marrying a man, we need to protest. To hurt them? No. But we need to protest and say that is not Jewish, that is destroying our world, and Hashem, it bothers me. Even though I can't change it. Because when you get hurt, I get hurt. I am not political at all. But I'm telling you that when it comes Tuesday, if you dare vote for somebody that is pro-gay marriage, you're going to have to deal with God on that vote. So you better check every person that you're voting for. Google them, and I don't care what their politics are. They voted pro-gay marriage you have to not only not vote for them but you have to vote against them and if both of them or all of them on that vote ballot voted pro-gay marriage then you don't vote for any of them HaKadosh Baruch Hu is watching I shook up your world now let's see what you're willing to do I don't know any politics I don't know who's voting who did, who didn't. I'm not Democrat, I'm not Republican, I'm not Communist, I'm not Liberal, I'm not nothing. I'm God's son. And I'm God's follower. And if it disgusts him, it disgusts me. And anyone who has a problem with that, you don't have a problem with me. I did not write to Eva Hashem. 
you have a problem with God, not me. This is not my politics. I did not write the Torah. As much as you believe that you should have kibbutz of the aim, and as much as you believe that you should not eat pig, it's in the same Torah to Evas Hashem. How dare you vote for someone who got up and said, I am pro-gay marriage or pro-abortion. Because you live in New York? Because you're Democrat? Because you're liberal? In hell, there's no politics. And in heaven, there's no politics. We are the children of Hashem. And whether the world likes or doesn't like, this is our Torah. And we have to stand up for Hashem. I'm a Kayan. Do you know why I'm a Kohen? Because my forefathers, when Moshe Rabbeinu got up, and in style, was the Egel, was the golden calf, and Kleishwell was dancing around the calf. And it was the in thing. Moshe Rabbeinu asked, Me, La Hashem, Eli. Who amongst you is with me for Hashem? And one of the smallest tribes in the Jewish nation said, we are. The Levium. And from that moment came the Kohanim. We are after a hurricane and I don't know what's in store. Hashem wants to see Mila Hashem Eli. In the times of Moshiach, it says this would happen. This is not a shocker to me at all. This is a Vefevish Isaiah. It's going to come down. The other side is going to be the one in the right. And the rabbis like me that just got up and made this whole talk, we're going to be the bad guys. There are people in this room right now that would get up and walk out because of what I just said. What's wrong with him? How can he talk about the gays like this? I have friends like this. I have teachers like this. I know Jews like this. What's wrong with him? He's some crazy rabbi. Nothing to do with me. I didn't write it. What do you want from me? So call God crazy. He created them. Even if he created them. That we live in a place where it became a law that men can marry men. And the measure says that the next law is going to be that men can marry animals. You can laugh. When I grew up, if I would tell you men can marry men, we would laugh much louder than you just did. What are you, crazy? When I was in yeshiva, somebody would get up, a man can marry a man, we'd be laughing, we'd be laying on the floor laughing. What is that, a mad magazine? Like, where'd you read this? So you're laughing. The major said that's going to happen. And there's already a big ad in, in Florida. I saw the ad. Some rabbi, he's making bark mitzvahs. That's right. Uh, I promise you. And, he, and he's booked. Your dog, you can make a bark mitzvah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the ad if you don't believe me. And they bring him to shul, and they make him a bar mitzvah. And, and there, there was a whole write-up. They, some guy who loved his dog spent $50,000 on a catered bark mitzvah. I was like, which poor does he put the tulin on? <laughs> it's a little dog with tulin between his eyes. Like, come on, you're laughing. So we're ready there. Make him a bark mitzvah, you can marry him. I mean, hello? Next thing is a chastanah for the dogs. <laughs> it's very, very, very serious. 
And Hashem had a lot of rachamim. I don't know how many of you have gone, went through the hurricane, you were outside, whatever it is. You could feel that it wasn't the wrath of God. It wasn't a smack. It was sort of a, a pat, like, you know, a smack hurts. A pat is like, wake up, wake up, come on, get up. It wasn't a smack. I'm not saying 55 people died. That's, that's 55 too many. But a lot more people could have died. It was a, come on, come on guys, wake up. But the next one might be a smack. We don't need to get smacked. We need each one of us to protest within myself. No, this is wrong. What's going on is wrong. And it bothers me, Hashem. Even though I can't do anything, it bothers me. And it took a lot of guts for me to get up and talk like this tonight. Because now a lot of people don't like me. I don't care. Do you know why I don't care? Because God likes me. At the end of the day, whoever don't like me, one day is going to be in the ground. God will never be in the ground. So at the end of the day, I don't care. Honestly. And it's time that you become brave enough that you don't care. And that you stand up for Hashem. He is waiting for that 80,000 people in giant stadium. Not see him Hashas. No. Not an internet filter. But that 80,000 people should get up and say, Hashem. And we will not vote for anybody who gets up in the Senate or the Assembly or President of the United States. As long as we're alive, you will never get these 80,000 votes. And then maybe some of the other states would say, uh-oh. Because that's all they want is votes. We didn't even fill up a room that protested. Forget about a stadium. We're scared. We're so scared of them. They run the world. We're so scared. Stop being scared. I'm more scared of a hurricane than I'm scared of them. So now we don't have gas. We don't have electric. And a lot of people don't have jobs. And a lot of people don't have houses, but they have gay friends. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> I'm just asking you that it should bother you. That's all. That's all he wants. He doesn't want you to change the world. That's his job. No. Marriage should be between a man and a woman. There should be children in this world. I don't, I don't even understand. I don't understand the... What? No, it's good. It's fine. I don't understand the thought process. Maybe you people understand the thought process. I don't understand the thought process. Because if they're right, and it's a way of life, and we should all understand it, and we should all be part of it, that if we're all gay, and women are marrying women, and men are marrying men, there's no human beings left in the world in two generations. Because women and women can't have kids, and men and men can't have kids. So in a hundred years from now, there are only animals on the world. So if that's the correct way of life, then life is over within the next hundred years. So it can't be the correct way of life because it doesn't sustain life. So what are you guys talking about? If you're right and the straight people are wrong, we're out of here in a hundred years. There's not a human being on earth. Cool. Cool. 
took Hashem 600 years. Noah, or 500 years before he destroyed the world. We can destroy it in 100 years. We can all become gay. World's over. So I guess they're not right. Because if we all live the way they lived, and I'm sure they're only living that way because it's right, there's no world left. And Hashem created the world. And he wants children. And he wants women and men to be able to get married, to become whole. So are we supposed to change them? No. I'm not talking you to go gay bashing. Chasr we're not allowed to. And that's not Hashem doesn't want us hitting people and, and, and being nasty to them and, and picking on them. We're not racist. It has to bother us. You can walk out on me. There's a price to pay at the end of the day. And if you love them more than you love God, then check out your roots. Make sure you're Jewish. At the end of the day, Kush Baruch Hu is our master and our God. Not the politician, not the Western civilization. And the Medrash says, you do it again, you do it again, you do Sodom, you do it again, nobody will be able to get Hashem to have pity on us. The minute they said, send the men out, the Malachim said, pack your family, we're out of here. They heard about all the terrible things that Saddam did. The minute they said, Kalya, it's finished. We're the ones that have to stand up. I'm not arranging a protest. I'm not telling you to fill up on a bus. I'm not telling you to go to a giant stadium. It's got to bother you. It just has to bother you. It's all Hashem wants. He'll handle the world. It has to bother you. Or He's going to have to do something to make things bother us. Okay, I think you got my point. So tonight, they wanted me to talk about commitment! Marriage! Hashem, good subject. I promise you, I know a lot of gay people. I know a lot of nice gay people. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that Ray Wallstein hates gay people. I don't hate them, and I don't, ju- I don't judge them. But marriage? You think that word? And making it legal? No. No, that cannot be. That cannot be. We cannot sit quietly about that. Okay. So I want to tell you, the girls were complaining. Not complaining about the boys. They would never do that. That's only after you get married. Um, So they wrote me a little letter from Queens. Guys, this is for you guys. I know you're all shaking up like... They're like, they have these different feelings going through. They're like, I really used to like that Wallace buddy. Like, he's like, such a racist. I can't believe he said all this stuff, you know? Come on. Oh, the guy that works next to me is so nice. Like, you know, how could you talk about that? I don't care. All right, I'm not here to, be, I'm not here to become uh, everyone's friend. I'm here to, 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 I don't want another hurricane. I want the people for Rockway to have Shabbos and electricity and food and not find fish in their, in, in their basement. Fish, they have fish in their basement for Shabbos. Fish must be on the table, not in your basement. It's not, you don't understand. You weren't, in, you weren't there. I was, you, don't, you don't know what's going on over there. You have no idea. Eels, snakes, fish, jellyfish in their basement. Sifrei Tyra floating. Sifrei Torah, they have to be buried floating in a shul with filling. It, it's like a holocaust. It's a holocaust. I should screaming. My Sifrei Torah floating. 
tefillin, hundreds and hundreds of pairs of tefillin, floating in the water, ruined, svarim, ruined, shuls, decimated, like kristallach by the Germans. You don't understand what it looks like there. You don't understand. This is a disaster. Baruch Hashem, you were saved. Probably because Chazak is in Queens. I don't know. Something like that. He told me to say that. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Chazak is in Queens. I said, I'm not touching Queens. Anyway, guys, you ready? Here we go. Guys, you didn't send me a letter. I read yours too. Maybe I'll make one up. So the issue at hand is as follows. The first few dates go by and everything is running smoothly. We connect well with each other and we share common goals. We both seem committed to this relationship, or at least that's the vibe that I'm receiving from him. Before we know it, we've been dating for a few months. Okay, then I'm not for that anyway, but okay, too long. And while I am full of excitement, he starts showing doubt and confusion. Something feels off. He's being distant and, in, and isn't as warm and loving like he was at the very beginning. Is what they're saying about you guys. I think about what I could have done to trigger this behavior, and I come up with nothing. So I ask him, sweetie, definitely not married yet, okay, (laughs) sweetie, is everything okay? I feel like you've been distant with me lately. And his response is, everything is okay. Of course I feel like we're distant. I'm in Hong Kong. No, that's not what they wrote. His response is, everything is okay. Don't worry about it. But this answer does not suffice because his behavior just isn't matching up to the person I met a few months ago. So I ask again. I know something is wrong. What is it? Be honest with me. And he responds, I don't know what it is. I have my doubts. But maybe we should continue dating and I'll know for certain. You fall for that stuff? Come on. <laughs> my, heart begins, my heart begins to race now. I'm the one who, now I'm the one who's filled with confusion. We have now reached a stalemate. Technically, the ball is in my court. I decide the next move, but I don't know which move to take. On one hand, I haven't felt this way before, and he's everything I've been looking for. But on the other hand, I think about my value, and if I know this is what I want, shouldn't he know by now as well? We girls have seen this too many times. We are standing here at the half point waiting for you to meet us halfway, but it is at this point that you run the other way. seems to me that the new phobia that is trending now, a days more than ever, is commitment phobia. You know what they're saying about you guys? They're saying you can't commit. That's what the girls on this side of the room are saying about the boys on this side of the room. Could it be true? What does it take for you men to be committed? They should all be committed. Literally. I'm kidding. Attraction is not the problem. Family is not the problem. Brains is not the problem. So for crying out loud, what is the problem? So instead of me answering, why don't you just ask them? Like, what do you want from me? I don't know. I don't know what their problem is. So let's talk about commitment. Commitment's a tough word for guys. See, men, this is Zaya. Men were created from dust. Afar. Hashem created us from Afar. Women were created from Etzem. From the bone of Adam. Adam was created from dust. Dust, the wind blows to the east, the dust blows to the east. Wind blows to the west, the dust blows to the west. We have no idea in which direction we're going. You are etzem. You're solid. 
you're made out of bone. The wind blows, the bone don't move. The wind blows, it don't move. So men are never happy. We are. We're never happy with what we have. We're always thinking, and guys, if they're brave enough, will admit it. They're always thinking, she's really great. But how do I know that I can't get someone greater? So when we get one car, we need two. When we get two cars, we need three. We need a house in the Hamptons, house in Florida, house in Israel, house in New York. A woman just happy to have one house with no mortgage, right? So we're very different. We don't mind taking a million-dollar mortgage on all of them, all, all crazy money, but I have five houses, right? Even though I can't live in all five. If there's a guy who can lease a car for one year, we would all lease that car. Because we look at the car. Wow! Check out that new Lexus. Zero to 60 and 4.4. But maybe if I wait six months, there'll be a zero to 60 and 4.2. So try to sell a guy a three-year lease. He's like, are you crazy? You want me to be in the same car for three years? And ladies, they don't lease. They buy. For 12 years. And there's like 12 miles after 12 years on it. They don't want a new car every day. They don't want a new husband every day. They're very happy. Just give me one husband, one car, one house. I'm a mama bear. I'll protect it. Anybody who messes with it, I will shoot them their heads off. Right? <laughs> they protect what they have. They nurture what they have. And that's what it means to Sani Kitsono. They're creating Hashem's will. Guys, we're never happy. We catch a fish. It's a 22-pounder. The next day we go out, and they're like, hey, you couldn't have eaten that fish. Forget that fish. Let's go for a 40-pounder. And then 60-pounder, and then an 80-pounder, and all of a sudden they go for a whale, and the whale eats them. <laughs> the way it works. So you have to understand that. So the longer you go out with him, right, the more he has time to think, she's great, all those beautiful things you wrote about yourselves, really nice, right? She's smart, she's rich, she's everything. But maybe... I could get one that's richer and smarter and prettier. So don't go out with him for three months. After the second date is, you like me? Marry me. That's it. That's the answer. You think, the girls are like, Rabbi Wallerstein, you don't get it. And I'm like, Rabbi Wallerstein does get it. Trust me. You give them three months, have a nice day. He's like, he's, you can't give them time to think. They don't do it very often, but when they do, it's not good for you. You cannot give us men time to think. Because after three months, we're thinking, I don't know. This, now I can't get up as late as I want to. She's going to bother me. I can't go out with the guys for something to eat at 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if my wife will go for that. Right? And she's going to maybe tell me, because one day he, you, you said, I don't really like your tie. Or you didn't say that because you're not stupid. You just bought him a new tie to give him the message. Oh, my gosh. She's telling his friends, she bought you a new tie? She's overbearing. She's picking your ties already. The guy's gone. He's gone. You, you bought him a tie, but he's looking at it like, you're going to pick all his ties. So I'm, I'm very into 10 dates. Get on the horse or get off the horse. That's it. After 10 dates, you know me. You know what I look like. You know what I'm thinking about. You know who I am. You want to do three months, four months, five months? Girls, you're hurting yourself. We're ready in five months. We're ready for a new life. We don't, you know. We know you for five months. That's it. We're ready to get our second wife. <laughs> One of my friends came out the other day. He said, he said, hi, is it higher? I was like, yeah. He goes, 
You want to meet my first wife? He's married 30 years. You want to meet my first wife? I'm like, is something happening that I should know? You know, guys, are, we, we jump. So don't give them so much time. I'm really being very honest. They don't need that much time because guys, they like you. They're ready to get married after 12 minutes. That's how they are. It may not last, but they'll get married. So that's too much. That's too much time. But what commitment is a big phobia, and I have to, I have to tell you that it crawled a little bit into the girls' world too. Now I'm on your side. I do this. We took care of you. Now we're going to take care of them. Uh, the girls are not making decisions right away. Same thing. They think they're shopping. Get a dress. Great price. All excited. Come home. I don't know. I think I might be able to find this dress in Nordstrom's. Cheaper. I'm like, you're happy with the dress. It looks nice. You paid for it already. You paid cash, so you not even a credit card. Why are you going to start now going to 20 stores? Because you're going to go to Nordstrom's, right? And you're going to find it cheaper there. And then you're going to think, but if I go online and I get a 20% discount plus a 5% coupon plus Gap, whatever is going to be on sale in 20 weeks, and then I can go back and get my money back and get it for cheaper. Buy it, right? You, you, you sell it, you return it to buy it, to return it to buy it. We don't understand all this stuff. Forget about it, right? We don't even understand this stuff, right? So girls began to get like that also. You know, they, they, they get like that. All of a sudden, they're also, they can't commit. It's very hard to commit. It's very scary because our whole world is, no, is non-committal today. We're very, we're very non-committal. We don't want to commit to anything. So it's, it's, it's crept into, not only to boys, it's nice that you wrote me a letter. And, and I agree with you, there's some guys like that. But there's a lot of girls like that. You know, they even get engaged and then they just can't, they just can't commit. So you, you have to understand that. That's probably the most important thing. Because if you don't commit, if you don't commit in life, then you don't commit in marriage, you don't commit in work, you don't commit in school. I have asked in Shiduchim if the person that the girl is dating and we're worried that he's backing off because he's not committal, was he committed to something bad as a young guy? Was he committed to something bad for two years? Then he doesn't have commitment phobia. So if you're committed to anything, you have to know that you're committed. That's why kids who change school, second grade this school, fourth grade that school, eighth grade this school, then they, they, they get married four times and they have 16 jobs. And you have to commit once you're young. You have to know that when you take on something that you can stick with it. Otherwise, you're going from job to job, from wife to wife, it's, it doesn't work. It's a, a very, very big word. And I want to tell you a very fascinating story about commitment. It's a story in Sefer Maithias, the rabbi's coming, Rabbi Lazar Brody. This was written by Rav Nachman Rebreslov. It's a very fascinating, it's a very Kabbalistic story, but I'm not going to go into the Kabbalistic part of it. We'll go into the raw story, what it, what it says. And the story says the following. But there was a, there was a, a man who had a son. And, I know it by heart, so I don't really have to read it. So the, the son was sitting and learning with his chavrusa. But he felt that he wasn't gaining enough. He heard about this rabbi who was brilliant, who lived in a faraway town. And he went down to his father, and he said, Dad, I want to go visit this rabbi. I want to learn with him. So the, rabbi, so the father said, you don't need to go to any rabbi. You're learning for so many years. You know as much as any other rabbi. Just sit here and continue learning. You don't need no rabbi. The son said, but dad, I heard he's unbelievable. 
I really want to go learn by him. And the father said, no, you don't need to travel. Stay home and learn. So for the next year, the boy continued learning. It bothered him. He just wasn't growing. So he went back to his father. He said, Dad, I want you to take me. I want to go to this rabbi. So the father said the following. Okay. I don't think we should go. We'll leave it up to God. We'll go. If the trip is easy, it's meant to be. If the trip is not easy, we're, going, we're coming back home. So the boy said, no problem. So they go. And they go across the bridge. And as they go across the bridge, the horses see something, and they jump off the bridge. And the wagon falls on its side. And the father turns to him and says, I told you, the Hashem doesn't want us to go. Now we're going home. And he lost his horses. They fell into the river. They go back home. And the boy's not sold. And he says to his father half a year later, Dad, I know what happened, but I really need to go learn by this road. Father says, you didn't learn your lesson from last time? No! Let's go. So, they go again. They're going across the bridge, and all four wheels of the wagon fall off. Fall off! Father's like, I mean, you, come on. You need to get slapped across the head. Hashem doesn't want us to go. They go back home. Half a year later, he's nudging and he's nudging. He's like, the son says, okay, here's the deal. We're going to try one more time. And if something happens to the wagon, I won't bother you again, daddy. Father says, you promise? Fine, deal. They go across the bridge. They're traveling. Everything's great. They do a whole day of traveling. They come to an inn. They come to the inn, and they're sitting down eating. And this man walks up to them. He says, I see you've been traveling for a long time. What are you doing here? And the boy says to this man, we're going to see the great rabbi who lives in this and this town. And the man who came over to the table says, him? Don't bother. I was just there. He's a fake he takes money, makes believe that he's a chacham, and that he knows things. He knows nothing. I wasted all my money with him. Don't go. And the father says, you see? Hashem is saving us. Now, no more. You made a deal. And they go home. And they're home a day, and the boy becomes very sick, and he dies. That's the story. I want to read you from inside. What happens when the boy comes back to his father after he dies in a dream? And the father sees He sees the boy in his dream who died very angry. And he asks his son in the dream What are you so angry about? And he says, the boy says to his father in the dream you want to know why I'm angry, go to the tzaddik that I asked you to take me to. Go to him and he'll tell you. And he woke up. And he said, ah, it was a dream. Next night, same dream. Go to the tzaddik and you'll find out why I died. And you'll find out why I'm angry in the next world. This happens for three times. So finally, 
He decides he wants to know why his son is angry. He goes. And he crosses the bridge. And he comes to the inn again at night because it was a, a day travel. And he comes to the inn and there is the man that came over to the table. Listen carefully. He says to him, Aren't you the guy that I met last time over here in this inn? And he says the following words. In Kirtza, says this other man that told him not to go, if you wanted, if you wanted, I would have swallowed you alive. Father's like, what? You can't swallow a person alive. What are you talking about? He says, what are you talking about? Hey, Shivlo, he, ret- he answers him back, the man. Do you remember when you went with your son that the horses fell off the bridge and you returned? Then after that, the axles on the wagon broke? He says, and do you remember when I came over to you in the inn and I told you that the tzaddik was, was, a, fail, was, a, was a, a failure and a fool and a faker? He said, yes. He said, you know who I am? I'm the satan. He said, I broke your axle. And I pushed the horse into the water. And I talked you out of going. And I took your son's soul. He says, now, if you want to go see the rabbi, now that your son is dead, now you can go see the rabbi. Okay? You over here, so... He went, and he went to the and he went to the rabbi, and he, the rabbi said to him, "You need to know, if I would have ever been able to meet your son, between the two of us, we would have brought Mashiach. They came in Chipotati, I say, and now that that your son is dead, there's nothing that we could do." And he screamed. Chaval, chaval, chaval ad avdin b'lei mishtachin. Chaval, how terrible it is that I lost him and I never got you to meet him. So, what is the story about? What is he? What is he? What is he talking about over here? What's Rav Nachman saying? What kind of story is this? It's a scary, sad story. What Rav Nachman is saying, the translation of the story that is written, is that every person. Every person in this room has the power to bring Mashiach. One girl in this room might be the mother of Mashiach, and one man in this room might be the father of Mashiach. We all have the power. And we all want to grow, and we all want to commit. Trust me, every guy in this room wants to get married. And every girl that's single in this room wants to get married. Some of you only want, some of you don't need. That's another problem. I'd like to get married if she's perfect and she's the princess of Saudi Arabia. Maybe. <laughs> if he's a you know gorgeous guy and he's got a lot of money and, and everything I want, ah, not a bad idea. There's a very big difference between wanting and needing. When you want something, you don't always get it. If you need something, Hashem gives it to you. So all the guys that want to get married, maybe you will, maybe you won't. All the guys that need to get married, you'll get married. All the girls that want to get married, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. All the girls that need to get married, will get married. Because Hashem gives us what we need. Not always what we want. Because sometimes what we want is not what we need. And sometimes what we need is not what we want. Ooh, follow that. (laughs) But it's very true. 
I didn't write that line, by the way. So he says over here that many times we want to grow and we want to get married and we want to do things. Stuff's not perfect. The horse fell off the bridge. The wheels fell off the wagon. So one of my friends said, come on, man, we're partying. Don't get married on me. Don't leave me alone. We're going to go into the game. And sometimes a girlfriend says, come on, you're only 19. You're going to marry 25, 26, manashtana. <laughs> but that's what happened in the story. And they turned around three times. And they listened to their friends. And some of them went to the Bukharian or whatever they are, palm readers. <laughs> and the line wasn't yet ready for marriage. And she did her tarot cards or whatever they do. And they're like, not yet, he's the wrong guy. Then you found out she was cross-eyed. She read your lines totally wrong. <laughs> By the way, don't waste your time with palm readers. Every single morning when you wake up, the lines change. When your neshama goes to Shemayim, it comes back and it rewrites the lines. And if you don't believe me, put your hand on a copying machine, take a picture, and then take to wait a month, take a picture of your hand, you will see many lines have changed. I'm not making it up. I look at my lines all the time. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't look at my lines. But it's true. You put your hand on, that's what everyone... Tonight they're going to forget about the anti-gay marriage. You're going to forget everything. Everyone's going to run home. What did you learn? Ma, get me the copy machine immediately. Let's do this, the whole family. Put your hand on the paper, put your hand on the paper. That's what we learned. Okay, right, Wallstein taught us that. Great. But you know what? It's true. Because I, I did it myself, honestly. When I, many, many years ago, when I was by a Makubal, and he's like, one of the, somebody asked him, could you read my palm? He says, I don't read palms. So why not? He says, because it changes. When your neshama goes up, there's one palm that's what's supposed to be, and that stays the same your whole life. And the other palm is called the palm of life. It's, the lines change. Don't look at your hands. Um, the lines change. So when he said the lines change, I'm like, come on. Come on, come on. He said, there's no use looking at him. It just changes all the time. One time you get married, you'll be, one time you'll have five kids. Then a month later it says you'll have nine kids. Then a month later it says 620 kids. I don't know exactly. You know, that palm reader's not worth much, but whatever. Right? And, and I did it. I did it. I actually did it. And it, they change. They really do. It's very cool. So then you're wasting your time. Because whatever it says today... It's, tomorrow's going to be different, so who needs to know? Stupidity. Anyway, so we, we have this drive. We want to go somewhere. We want to go somewhere. We want to commit. But my friend said, come on. That's what you were looking for? That's what you were waiting for? That's it. If your friends say that to you, finished. But you didn't realize that your friend is jealous because he really liked that girl. Or he's not married. Or she's not married. So the advice that she's giving you is tainted. Wallstein's my best friend. Yeah, but she's human. If you feel that this is the right person and you're committed, then the wheels can fall off and the horse can fall off and somebody can come up to you and say, what are you doing? The end of the day, that marriage, this is what the Sutton said, that marriage, that I stopped. You know why I stopped it? Because this son is going to be a Rosh Hashiva one day. So I'm going to throw at this guy everything to make him think, that this girl is not the right girl. And we're fools. That's why these girls wrote this letter. And we know, and we, we're being fooled. And we walk away. We come to Shemaim 120 years. And that wasn't just even the one you married. The one you didn't marry. 
And you were supposed to have a big tzaddik who's going to save Christ, bro. But you got scared because the horse fell off. And the something's standing there. Ah! I put in your friend's head to tell you she's no good for you. I put in your head, she's not the perfect nose. I was going to marry a blonde. She's not the perfect blonde. <laughs> or in the girl's head, he's not a millionaire. He doesn't own two cars and a house without a mortgage. So you have to wait till he's 80. <laughs> I'm waiting for that guy. So he doesn't have a house worth $800,000 with no mortgage. So what are you doing? You have to marry a 60-year-old guy and you're 19? Because you need a house? Everything has to be paid for? That's how Hashem set up the world? You're scared that the God that's going to give you life, he can't give your husband a good job, to fall into a good job and make a lot of money, and maybe he'll never make a lot of money. The two, you'll be very happy and he won't need a lot of money. How many girls in this community that I spoke to that are not married today because their parents are waiting until the guy has a house fully paid? What is that? What is that? Or he has to be a kid that went to college because my parents didn't go to college and they came to America and they're working hard and they don't want that kind of life for me, what's wrong with working hard? Not everybody can get a job on the internet where you have some site that you're selling your mother's old clothing, right? <laughs> and the next morning you wake up and you're rich. Guys love that. Just put it all up on eBay. And the next morning, I don't have to do anything. While I'm sleeping, all the suckers in the world are buying my mother's old clothing. <laughs> but not everybody can get such a job. Today, I, I, don't, I don't blame girls. They say, like, what, do you, what does he do for a living, Rabbi Wallstein? I'm like, he sells stuff on the internet. Every guy sells stuff on the internet. What does he sell, Rabbi Wallstein? I don't know. <laughs> but that's what he does. This guy's making a living. You don't have to wait till he's, till he's got a house and a, and a house in Florida. And, and he has, he's going to buy you a 16-carat diamond. Flawless. Perfect color. That, that's not a heart that's not a that's not a commitment that's nothing that's money it's it's a hard stone it means nothing I've seen those stones never go back and forth when the whole get the whole divorce is based on until she gives me back the stone I'm not giving her the get and the stone is this big and I'm like that stone really worked so we bought her a six carat now they're fighting over it because they're divorced it's not a stone girl it's not money it's the person there's a lot of good guys here a lot of good people. I'm not talking to you guys in the back. You're all perfect. You're all perfect. I said it's not the size of the stone that counts. It's the color. No, that's not what I said. It's the setting. Such nonsense. I want an oval. I want a round. You want a round guy or an oval guy? Like, what do you... They're so stuck on the diamond and the jewelry and how much money he has that doesn't make the person. And we're so stuck on this side, on her beauty and her beauty. And beauty is really skin deep. What's the person? Who is she? What makes her tick? What's her sensitivities? What does she like? What's her thinking process? These are not bodies. These are humans. And these are not banks. These are humans. <laughs> bad on those guys that walked out when I was talking about the gays. They missed a good part. They missed the real part. Anyway, 
But it's the truth. It's the truth. That's what we're all looking at. Bodies and banks. We're, and we're people. And we're so complex. And there's so much there's so much beauty in every single person. Unbelievable. If people would just know their inner beauty, they wouldn't care about the outer beauty. The inner beauty of a person. I know a lot of girls are thinking it's really nice what you're saying, right, Wallstein? But it's the girl that's really beautiful when she walks into the room. That's everyone who turns around. Well, you want me to want me to put a sign? I should wear a sign. Beautiful inside. <laughs> Silly boys. Silly boys who go for the outside beauty. Because guess what? Ten years later, there'll be a girl working in the, working in their office that has better outside beauty. And the girl doesn't understand if that's what you're selling and that's what he's buying then he's going to find someone prettier. But if if the person that you're going out with and the person that likes you and the person that you like likes who you are, and that's why the Chachamim were brilliant when they came up with Shemini Gia. What a, what a fantastic idea. Shemini Gia, that the boy and girl shouldn't touch each other. Everyone see, they think some old rabbis sitting in a room, 80 years old, unattractive. <laughs> Let's get the young girls and the young boys, let's make a rule. Can't touch each other. <laughs> no. They were brilliant. Because if you go out with a guy for three months and you get engaged, and then it's another three months till you get married, and you don't touch each other, and that guy is willing to stand on that chuppah and say, Hari Atma Kudeshisli, you are holy to me because we didn't touch each other for six months and she puts out her finger and the first time they ever touch each other is at a commitment where he's saying I am marrying you it's going to last most of the time because he knows in his heart I don't like this girl because she's female because I didn't touch that female I like this girl because I got to know who she is and I like who she is so the Chachamim said, if we could get you guys to meet for six months and not touch each other and be willing to get married, then we know the two of you love each other. And guess what? If that's what you love, it's not a person's body, but it's who the person is, the longer you're married to them, the greater the love because the more you get to know them and their situations and you see how they act in those situations and you get closer and closer. But if it's about a person's body, our bodies change. There's always a better body. So if the girl allows the boy to touch him. That's what she's selling. If he's a meat buyer, then he's going to find better meat 10 years down the line. Some Italian 19-year-old girl that walked into his office and then she's in my house. And she's like, I don't understand Rabbi Wallerstein. He's got this mistress, this girl I just found out. I looked at his email. She's 19 years old. What happened to my husband? I'm like, what happened? You were selling meat. (laughs) So that's what he was attracted to. So now he found better meat. What's your question? I never say I told you to be Sherman Gia. I don't want to do that. I just think it. If that's what you're selling, then who are you attracting? You're attracting the guy that's just interested in a body. So a body snatcher, as we call him. Not a bodybuilder, but a body snatcher. Right? So that guy is always looking for a better body. So why are you surprised? But if you're like, don't touch me until we get married, and he sticks, he's real. He wants you. He wants who you are. So Chachamim, who were brilliant, they said, for the girl and the boy, if they don't touch each other, and it's not just hormones, female, male, 
So it's going to be six months that they're going to get to know each other. And if they get to know each other and they're still willing to commit and to get married, it's real and it's going to grow. Brilliant. Hilchas Nida, Brilliant. Brilliant. That a husband and wife should know that they love each other even though two weeks out of the month they can't touch each other. What a, what a brilliant idea. And all the Goyim that I work with in business... There was this book that came out because it was a, a, a bestseller, New York Times bestseller, about a woman in California that was going to the mikvah and was murdered. So right away, and I deal with Barnes & Noble, right away, everybody wanted to know what's a mikvah. Because it was a big book about Jews. She was walking at night. What does that mean? Where was what? What's going on? What's a mikvah? A, a, a holy pool? So I had to explain to them that two weeks out of every month, once you're married, you can't touch your wife. So you would think that we go... Oh, barbarians. <laughs> they said, wow. So she's like, so she's like, after two weeks, she's like, it's like they're getting, they're getting married again. So these Goyim were saying to me, it's amazing. They're not just like an animal whenever you feel like. After two weeks, they come out of this ritual pool and it's like, they get married again. And they're so excited about it. They're like, they're walking, it's like, ingenious. And it is ingenious. Because for the two weeks that you can't touch each other, you still love each other, you still care about each other, that means you really care about each other. You're not just an animal. Tyre is brilliant. The Baruch is brilliant. Chacham are brilliant. They don't want to just be mean. And they come up with rules. It's for us. To grow. To be committed, not as an animal, but to be committed as a human being. And we're higher than a human being. We have an neshama. To connect two neshamas, not animalistic. Hashem is in the room. Hashem is a partner by Zivug. Remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, huh? Come the mezuzahs. Just the opposite. By Zivug between a man and a woman. who's by the Zivug. It's Kedusha. It's holiness. It's neshama. We're not animals. We don't just do what we want, like what happened in the Medrash. They picked whatever they want. An animal, another man, animals. Hashem said, I didn't create a world for animals. He created it for us, for humans. The Torah is beautiful. And now the world is saying, we want to destroy the husband and wife and the Zivug and the Kedusha. And we're just sitting there, a bunch of scaredy cats. That someone should, God forbid, say we're racist or something else. Don't be scared to stand up for what you believe. The other religions are not scared to blow up a Jewish bus. Hashem doesn't want us to blow anybody up. We're a loving nation. But He wants us inside to demonstrate against what's happening. And therefore, everybody, in my opinion, this hurricane happened at a full moon at a full moon because the moon represents the Jewish nation the sun represents the world and the moon represents the Jewish nation why? because the moon is out 24 hours a day it doesn't move it's out 24 hours a day and the reason that we don't see it during the day because the sun is out but it is there a whole day Klai Yisrael is always here the reason we're not the biggest nation, the reason that we're not the nation that controls the world, because right now, the sun, which is compared to Esau, is running the world. 
but the Jewish nation is always out. And that's why our calendar is a lunar calendar. And this hurricane, and this flood, as they're calling it a flood, hello, wake up, Mabel, call the flood. No rain. Hashem saying, this is not from me. This is not from Shemayim. This is not rain. This is from you. It's coming from the oceans. It's not coming from the heaven. It's coming from this world. And the beaches and the sand that were created as borders. Hashem said, you're breaking my borders? Homosexual marriage? You're breaking my borders? Then the borders I created to protect you will also break. And the ocean stopped nothing this time. Not only didn't it stop anything, but the flood came from the ocean. The flood came from a high tide of 13 and a half feet. And it reached 18 feet. A record! Whenever you hear that word, Hashem's trying to make a point. A record! 18 and a half feet. I'm thinking 18 is high. 18 and a half feet! From the ocean! Hashem said, not from Shemayim, you did it. You were Mushchas the world. So it's going to come from your world, not from my world, no rain. Your world, the ocean. It's like Mitzrayim in the five towns. After the Makkah of Dam, all the fish were laying, rotting. Mitzrayim. The fish are laying all over Seagate. They're laying all over the five towns, far away. They're dead. The stench is impossible. And I thought to myself, even in the marble, it says the fish didn't die. They went to Eretz Yisrael. Everything else died, except the fish. Hashem, what do you want from the fish? So many fish. I'll tell you, people told me, hundreds of fish in their, in their cellar. Hundreds of fish. Sharks! The aquarium. Well, you're, you're in Queens. In Brooklyn, the aquarium, Ocean Parkway. The aquarium. All those gorgeous fish and dolphins and seals. Dead. All of them. The aquarium was destroyed. And the salt water went into the tanks and electrocuted all the fish in the aquarium. And I'm thinking to myself, those poor fish, they're like, hurricane's coming. We're getting out. <laughs> they're right on the ocean. We're getting out. We're out of here. And the wave comes and broke the, the whole aquarium's underwater. We're free! And they got fried. Why the fish, everybody? Listen to what happened here. Learn. Study. What was the biggest thing that took the biggest hit in this hurricane? The trees. Trees down everywhere. What's a tree? In Kabbalah, a tree is a human. Because Shlomo Melech called us Eitz Hasadah. We are the trees of the field. So Hashem didn't kill us. He didn't take it out on us. He took it out on something that's equivalent to us. The Eitz Hasadah. The trees took the hit in this hurricane. What else took the hit? The fish. Fish represent Pru Uruvu Umilu Esayam. Hashem said, multiply. Fish multiply the most. And fill up the yam. Fish represent on Rosh Hashanah, we're supposed to eat fish, and we're supposed to say, he ratzan, that we should multiply like the fish in the yam. And fish is where you throw your avarice.
and all those Averis came back from the Yam. So the fish are representation that somebody is destroying Pru Uruvu in this world. The multiplication of children and bringing children into this world. Every sign that he could send us, he just sent us last week. You need to read them. You need to go to your room tonight. If you have a computer, you need to Google every single person that's on that ballot. And you need to know what he voted for and what he stands for. And then you have to decide to push that ballot. And maybe you'll show Hashem a little bit that we care. And you need to sit at the end of the bed and you need to get angry. You need to get angry that people don't believe he exists. I'm dealing next year that I give. I had the craziest day last week. The very religious Jewish girl who was an atheist, but studied atheism. And I'll tell you about the whole debate. It's sick. It's frightening that our own people don't believe in Hashem anymore. We got our warning. Now you got to do what you got to do. May Koshbach will bring Mashiach. May there be many commitments from this room. Shiducha, listen, the rabbi gets a Mavotah. He finally committed. Right? The rabbi finally committed. So I, I hope that he sets the example. I just want to tell you something about Chazak. They've been asking me to come speak a lot. They're amazing. We get the magazine in, in Brooklyn. And whoever can support them, I'm serious. You guys have something that we've been trying to get in Brooklyn, such an organization. We don't have it. And if you could help him, he's willing to do all the work. He just needs the finances. You should help him. We should all see the coming of Mashiach. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.